Hello and welcome to Raw Chatter. I am your host speaking, Vicky Midwood, the Addiction Eliminator, here to help you to create health and get fabulous freedom from any issues that are stopping you from thriving. And I am delighted today to be here with a guest who is an alcohol control coach. Carol has a really interesting and potentially very familiar story to some of you listening to share with us. And she specifically focuses on helping women in business and women entrepreneurs. So Carol, thank you for joining me today on the podcast. And I would love you to let people know what you do and why you do it. So over to you. Tell us about yourself. Oh, thanks, Vicky. Thank you, first of all, for uh having me on the podcast. It's lovely to be here. Um, why I do what I do. I think I know how business women, entrepreneurs, um, stressed women feel in their brains around alcohol. I was very much that person. Um, I was in quite a stressful job. Um, alcohol was not an issue for me, not really, to be fair. I used it when the kids were younger. That's when my drinking journey began. Um, before that, I was just your typical social drinker. I'd have a drink if I went out, but it wasn't really my thing. I, I wasn't really bothered. And then kids came along. Oh, boy. <laughs> juggling. <system. laughs> oh, not half, you know, juggling kids, working full time or working part time. I was then actually um, keeping home doing all the things um, right. that you do as a woman because you've got to hold it all together, haven't you? Because yeah. that's what women do, don't they? They just like hold it all together until it did happen to me in 2016, 2017, sort of crashed and burned. But I'm talking about my kids were born, um, one in 95, one in 2001. So, oh, quite a gap um, yeah. Right. Yeah. There was, yeah. I've got a military ba background. I was in the nursing corps for 13 years. So I had my, I didn't get married until I was in my late 20s. Had Lucy um, when I was coming up for 30. And then um, I had the two of the Bosnia, went to Germany, up and down the UK, various wow. hospitals. Um, and I don't think it wasn't too bad because we had it all sorted with Lucy at nursery and I worked in the outpatients department. So I sort of worked a nine to five job. Um, wow. But when I came home and got her to bed, uh, I used to have the odd glass of wine. I would go out, but it was when my son was born. My son was born in 20, um, yeah, 2001. And I knew straight away there wasn't something quite right. And he was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome, which is on the autistic spectrum and ADHD when he was about, Oh, I don't know, about six, five or six. I mean, we'd known from nursery that there was something not quite right. And that put a lot of strain under uh, for me and my marriage as well. My, my, I'm married again. My first husband just stuck his head in the sand, really couldn't come to terms with it. I was the one that was working while the kids were at school. So I was dropping them off at school, picking them up, uh, working in between and picking them up. And then having all the household bits to do, all the education bits to sort out with the special educational needs. 
And so that's I'm just really going to jump in there, yeah. if I may, because if people are listening and they can recognise what you're saying, when you have got a child who has health issues, um, mm. and especially when it comes to like schooling and learning difficulties, it can be a complete minefield, can't it? Mm. And it takes mm. up such a lot of your time. Did you find that the 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 education system and the school that you were with were were helpful, or did it feel like every day was a bit of a battle? In primary school, we're in a very small local school in the village where we live. They were absolutely fantastic. So um, that was not an issue at all. He didn't have a statement, unfortunately. The educational psychologist said he didn't tick all the boxes because Nathan is very intelligent, very bright, um, and he didn't get a statement. So he's put on, put on something called Action Plus. So I had a lot of backwards and forwards in with the teachers. There was lots of reports, how he was doing, meetings. My first mm. husband used to come to them if he could, um, but the poop hit the fan when he got to secondary school. He was under a, um, a psychologist at CAMS, which is the mental health side of things. And yeah. the um, family worker recommended a particular school in a nearer city, and it was our faith school, because we're I'm a Christian and I wanted my children to go to a, a faith-based school. Uh, and it was a long day for him. It was like half seven on a mo- in the morning, getting the bus and not getting back till like half past five at night. Wow. Uh, and I worked um, about 50 minutes away, and it was a massive school learning support were not fantastic because it wasn't funded it's really sad to say Vicky but because they weren't getting money for them I felt they just couldn't give two hoops about him to be fair so my poor boy was left wandering around losing his bag losing his books not getting to lessons on time constant detentions I was going to have having to go and pick him up because he'd missed the bus it was a complete and utter nightmare. The, the teachers were sick of me because I had everybody's emails and I would constantly email them, letting them know, you know, what sort of day he'd had at home. And it's only coming out now, he's 22, saying how exhausted he was because he needed to wind down after school and his winding quiet time was in the middle of the night, Nick, Vicky. So he was knackered getting up in the morning. It was when in hindsight you can oh, you can see that yeah. and the fact that but he obviously didn't have the ability to to, to let, let tell you how he felt and because no. he probably didn't have the words and know how to explain no. it anyway and as parents no. we just do the best that we can so with all of yeah. that stress going on is yeah. is that when you found that you were starting to drink a little bit more or did that not come until mm. later no I, I did start using wine I, I needed to wind down I, I didn't feel like I had anybody to talk to. The teachers weren't really listening. My husband um, didn't really massively get involved. Don't get me wrong, he loves the kids to absolute pieces and wants what's best for them. And he came to some of the meetings, but a lot of them were in school time and he was working. So it was really difficult for him to get. So I bore the brunt of and shouldered most of it. Right. Um, that put a real strain on our marriage. My drinking, I was probably having a couple of bottles a week at that point right so um, nothing major really in the general scheme not really I, I get the kids off to bed I'd read him his story um and then you know I'd be downstairs and it would be sit in front of the tv go and pour mm. myself a glass of wine my husband didn't drink wine he, right. he wasn't really a big drinker so he wouldn't have anything and then I'd get on the phone to my best pal who would join the army with and I'd pour all my 
rubbish out on her and I, and he'd go to bed at half 10, 11 and I'd still be up at 12, 1 o'clock finishing the bottle of wine, chatting to my friend. So it was a, a pretty horrible time in my life, to be honest, Vicky. It really was. And it ended our marriage. Um, there were other things that, that came into it that ended our marriage. But the main thing was that that diagnosis and, and trying to hold everything together at home. Because I was the bill payer. I, I sorted all right. the finances out. You know, my husband came from a background where his mum just mothered him. And then I just took over when I got married which right and again that's such a familiar story depending on on people's age but you know if that's what you kind of saw your mum doing yeah. um or your grandma doing even if not your mum you kind of we do yeah. take on board and as women we are naturally just nurturers it's it's yeah, in our yeah. dna it's you know Absolutely. we are the ones who who give birth and we are the ones who mm. genetically are kind of designed to love and nurture and care for other people and if you come from mm. a background where your partner was used to that as well and that's what yeah. you've seen you kind of it just yeah. it's the norm whether the we agree with it or not mm. it doesn't matter it's what we mm. end up doing isn't it yes yeah, absolutely lot, a lot when you're working as well and mm. then you got this diagnosis and you're not necessarily getting the support and the help that you need. Mm. It's it's a really challenging time. And so for many people, turning to a bottle numbs out, quietens down the brain, yeah. just allows you to switch off and relax. Mm. And I'm sure we can all, you know, can recognize that whether we have an issue with drinking too much or not. I think we've all been there where we just want to go, oh, just wind down with a drink. So that's kind of what you did so you split up from the from the first husband and then your journey then kind of escalated a bit didn't it it did indeed <laughs> i was i chose to leave the family home because my husband was not going anywhere he was staying so mm. it was my choice i got an ultimatum basically we'd been out for lunch with my my friends who were drinkers they were big drinkers and i'd been the driver so i had fomo obviously I'd not, I'd not drank anything and it wasn't fair. So I drove us back to the village and then it was my turn to have a drink. And um, my husband, um, I can't remember all the details, but basically came down the pub, wanted the car, was not impressed that I was in the pub drinking. Um, and I got a text saying, I've had enough of this shit. I want out of this marriage. And I was like, now is my opportunity to get out. I was 45, I think. I can't remember. Right. So I decided this was my opportunity to get out of the marriage. So I I stayed. Uh, I didn't go home that night. We had some counselling and things. It really didn't work. Um, and I just chose to leave the family home. So I had to get a full time job because I was only working. I think I was earning something like four or five hundred pounds a month. Thankfully, yeah. the pub uh, we. I didn't fill that gap in, but actually we we ran the pub with our friends in the village. So we ran the local pub as well on top of everything else. Um, wow. And I, I, my my friend, I left the pub industry after about six months because I um, the kids were too young. I wasn't it was it was hard work. It so is. I got to live upstairs in the pub for four months and I found myself a full time job a really good painful time job um nice. about 20 minutes away and um i then had to get a home so i rented in the village there was not a stick of furniture or anything in the village now 
I've been a big community lady in the village. I've done a ton of stuff. We've lived here for like 25 years and it was amazing. The community all got together and basically furnished my house. The only Brilliant. the only thing I had to buy was a, a washing machine. Wow. Everything, everything, everything was was left in the pub for me. Carol, I've got a sofa, I've got a TV, I've got two beds, I've got a double Lovely. bed, I've got crockery, everything. But then, of course, splitting up with my husband and all the grief that that brings, um, yeah. my drinking really ramped up. There was nobody to keep an eye on me. So right. I would just sit and drink a whole bottle of wine every mm. single night. It yeah. wasn't any more than that at that time. And right. I just drowned my sorrows in the glass. Yeah. And this is where we recognise that no one sets out to become addicted and to escalate the drinking. And it's mm. often external circumstances that provide the catalyst and then we create the habit, don't we? And that mm. habit, then we recognise that, you know, a couple of glasses becomes a bottle. And it's not a conscious choice. It's just something that creeps up over time. And then before you know it, that bottle a night has just become the norm. And you were functioning. You were holding down your job. It wasn't as if you were pissed out of your head and hung over every day. Mm -hmm. And I think this is an important thing to get across. You were still able to function as a mom and a full time mm -hmm. and a full time worker, weren't you? So tell us about how long that kind of went on for. It probably went on for a decade. Um, I was in my own home with the kids, shared. They chose to share their time. Thankfully, we were in the village still. I was in the village, so their dad was two-minute walk away. So they chose to um, move, share the time between me and dad. So that's yeah. what they did. So on the down days, that was when I was in the pub. That was when I was meeting with my friends. I'd met another guy. That was when it was my time, my right. downtime. And yeah. boy, did I make it crack. Uh, you know, I was, I'd go down the pub, I'd have a couple of, um, 5% beers, pints of beers, and it would start on the wine. There were never small ones. And my whole, life evolved around the pub when the kids weren't there right um and yeah it got to you know your tolerance grows doesn't it the more you yeah. have the more mm -hmm. you need to get that buzz so I wasn't getting that buzz probably I mean I was getting the initial buzz um after a glass or two of wine but I was still chasing that buzz and still chasing that feeling good but at that point I was just drinking for drinking's sake so it was probably a bottle and a half I never hit the two bottle unless I started at lunchtime and that right. was <laughs> I would make excuses with my daughter I'd be like oh do you want to go out and have some lunch Lucy thinking yeah. I can start drinking earlier um, right. so I wouldn't class myself as an alcoholic a lot of people listening might think that but I was definitely in the gray area of drinking where if I didn't if I did have a day or two off I wasn't getting trembling I wasn't getting headaches I wasn't fitting I wasn't feeling so there was no alcohol use disorder there it right. was just this need I just believed that drink helped me to relax and de-stress yeah and, and this is where I think so many people listening to this can can recognize themselves because you could not drink for a day and you were mm. fine. 
you know, mm. and it's this is where you know I hate the the label and the term alcoholic because yeah, so do I. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? You know, that's happened to me a couple of times, actually, um, to be honest. Yeah, it has. Um, And it's annoying because you're in the flow and then it's like, (laughs) Nightmare. So um, let's just recap where we were for a moment. So you you were were talking talking about alcoholic. Yeah. You were just I don't like the term alcohol. But this is where you recognise that it has become a habit, as you said, and it's just a way of kind of being and just the norm. And it's hard for you to kind of now, I suppose, look back at that and kind of think, actually, that, that's not really very normal. But at the time, it, it felt fine, didn't it? And I think people listening need to know that, that, that you be you are able to function and therefore don't necessarily think that there's an issue. And unless you've got any massive health issues that are cropping up or somebody makes comments and points it out, it's really easy to just carry on, isn't it? It is because your entire social group drink just as much as you do, if not even more, because yeah. a few of my friends drank more than I did. And I always sort of measured myself and we do, we measure ourselves with the people that we mix with. And I saw what they were drinking and, you know, I saw a particular, uh, I wouldn't call her a friend. She was, well, maybe she is. She was someone that was down the pub and was drinking so much. Her body was actually throwing it back up and she was still drinking it and and she was vomiting it. Um, now, whether or not she had an issue around alcohol, I don't know what she does at home drinking wise, but whenever she comes down the pub, that's what she did. She was down there with her husband and, you know, I would measure myself. I, I googled, am I an alcoholic? And I certainly didn't tick all the boxes. So in yeah. my mind, my drinking was OK. I knew I drank probably too much for my health uh, and it wasn't good for me. What I didn't know, um, what I read in a book when I decided to take a break was that it's actually a carcinogen and that it's cancer causing. I did not know that. Now, that was like like my brain just went boom. And I just thought, wow, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. I have got two kids. I do not want to leave them motherless because we all know we can carry on drinking and drinking and we need more and more and more and more of it to get that kick, to get that feeling, don't we? Because a bottle didn't touch, a bottle for me, it would make me feel tipsy towards the end and then I would need another half a bottle. I hated that drunk feeling, Vicky. I hated the room spinning. I've got a thing about being sick. And I would always stop when I got to that point where I knew, do you know what? If I have any more, I'm going to see two of everything. And I hated that. So they used to rip me to pieces because I used to go and get a cup of tea because I was still drinking in the pub where I was a landlady. So I had free rain, really. And I used to go into the kitchen and they'd be, oh, Carol's on the tea. And I'd be like, yeah, well, I'm sorry, but 
I still mm. can't remember getting home. So I still, mm. like, as we know, blackouts are blackouts where you're still walking, talking. You just can't remember anything because you've drunk so much. And I couldn't remember going home. I can't remember getting into bed. I couldn't remember what happened in the bedroom other than the morning after, you know, that drunken sex and all that sort of thing. Um, and I felt, in fact, my hangovers used to be delayed. The more I drank, I didn't, the hangover didn't kick in until about lunchtime. So I got right. up in the morning and I think, do you know what? I don't feel too bad. I'd always drink plenty of water. I'd always have water at the side of my bed. I've always done that. But then I'd be at work and bang, lunchtime, here it had come. And I was paranoid of, I worked with older people, I managed sheltered housing, I had a lot of um, housing to look after, a lot of older people to look after, uh, I had to sit with them and have a conversation and I used to get paranoid about them smelling booze on me. Right. Um, I used to mints um, because I would, you know, I'd be really, I was very, um, I, d I loved my job, 100% put every single ounce of effort into my job I really enjoyed it I did it for nine years um yes. and you know I'd be mortified to think that I, I couldn't do my job well but looking back now and that is why I work with business women and entrepreneurs is because I know how much it affects your thought processes your clarity Got that foggy head, you've got that nauseous stomach, you've got to sit in meetings, you want to just go and eat carbs because you want your tummy to settle, your yeah. head's stumping. Um, and for people in business, that is a major issue if if you are in business for yourself and you know you need to be on top form and alcohol does not work well with yeah. business at all. And this is the thing because so many people, it is part of the culture. You, you, we do it without recognizing that we're doing it, but we're surrounding ourselves with people who drink in the same way that we do because yeah. then we feel a part of. And if somebody's drinking a little bit more than you do, then you can feel a not too, well, I'm not too bad then because they're drinking more than me. And the, the fact that you've just said it, you, it affects everything, but it's not profound. It's not so obvious that you can't no. function and you can't keep going. It's when you look back in hindsight and when you mm. don't then drink that much, you suddenly go, wow, I really was mm. performing below par for most mm. of the time but I, mm. I was still able to do what I needed to do. And if you're a business person and you're working for somebody else, you can kind of get away with it. But if you are working for yourself, mm. this is the stuff that can lead you to missing out on, on so much because you're just not fully present, are you? You're not 100% there. Your brain's off on, I don't feel well, or it, is it mm. okay now? Does it look all right if I if I have a drink? Is it five o'clock? Is it six o'clock? You know. And for me, I, I recognize what you're saying about, it's just my breath smell. I was like the forever chewing gum in between mm. clients and classes because I was paranoid that I would still smell the day mm. after. And goodness knows whether I was actually legal to drive the next day to get to work. It, it didn't oh, really cross yeah. my mind. I would just get in the car and go because I felt fine. But actually, it was probably well over the limit um, mm. without kind of knowing it. So yeah. that kind of thing that you read when you decided to take a break and suddenly you recognize that shoot this is this is more serious from a health point of view than I thought that for you was your aha moment but obviously there must have been something that 
prompted you to go read that book in the first place? So what was it that made you decide you maybe I should take a break that you ended up reading it anyway? Um, it was my son. My son got stranded at Birmingham New Street Station and um, it was uh, he'd gone to the NEC to some Comic-Con or something, met a friend. Um, we didn't realise that there was uh, railway works going on because it was over bank holiday. Um, of course, bank holiday is a, just an excuse to really kick the backside out of drinking, isn't it, really? Yeah. And he, he missed his last train. I think his last train was at eight o'clock. He'd missed it. He rang me up. Of course, I'd been drinking most of the day. It was a beautiful, glorious, sunny day. And um, we'd had a barbecue. And I just said, I'm sorry, son, I, I really can't come and pick you up. That killed me. That really hurt that I wasn't there for my boy, really hurt. So um, I just said, you're going to have to ring your dad. Uh, and he rang his dad and his dad went and picked him up and everything was fine. A couple right. of weeks previous to that, I'd had a bottle of wine in. Um, my thing was, the thing, the trigger for me was, was driving by Sainsbury's every day, coming home from work. I would promise myself every, I wouldn't drink, think about drinking in the daytime. As soon as I got in my car, the alcohol monster, as I called it, would start whispering. You've had a hard day, Carol. You deserve a drink. It's been really stressful. And that was the just recording in my brain every right. day around half past four or five yeah. o'clock. You've earned it. So, you've deserved it. You've worked hard yeah. for it. Yeah. 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 You just It's the same old, same old, yeah. same old. Yeah. And it's not until you interrupt that pattern, as we know, that you can actually make some way forward into your drinking habits but I would um I would call in at Sainsbury's I would promise myself I wouldn't I'd talk to myself all the way there and then as soon as I got past Sainsbury's the car would be pulling in I'd be grabbing a couple of Moretti beers I'd be grabbing a bottle of red wine um and I would be grabbing a bar of chocolate and then I would right. get home, I would open a beer, I would sit by my little pond outside, I'd have my two beers, I'd chill out, I'd get that buzz from that. Then I would go in, I'd start cooking tea and I'd open the wine. Now, if my husband had some of my wine, I'd get really pissed off. If right, I tell so that's into a classic, secret. isn't it? Oh, I used to get, I never used to tell him. But you know what? I used to fit, I used to finish it before him. You're laughing your head off. He used to go down to the <laughs> no, toilet. So he used to go down to the toilet and his glass would be there and I'd actually take a sip. In fact, I'd take a couple of sips out of it. And I think, you get, you, you're having my wine. You've got you're no right to drink it. You're not allowed. <laughs> and he said, and I, I actually fessed up to him now. And he said, do you think I really didn't notice? Well, I don't think he did notice. But at that time I was in a wine club. So I was probably spending, in fact, I know how much I was spending. I was spending between four and 500 pounds a month on wine. And because I got it in the house, I could go and get another bottle. But when I when I was, um, I must have stopped the wine club. I don't know why, but I got behind the wheel. I went up the country lane to Sainsbury's, which is about half a mile away. And I knew I was tipsy. And that was another thing I knew. And those were the two things, drinking, being under the influence uh, and thinking I was okay, which I'd done several times, actually. Um, and my my son getting stranded and right. and I'd been trying for oh Vicky probably a decade every Monday I would feel rough and I'd say right that's it Never I'm not again. drinking till Friday and my husband would say to me Carol why can't you just knock it in the head until Friday and it will get to Monday I'd be hungover so it wouldn't be an issue right oh, 
I really do I not have anything Tuesday. And then Wednesday had come and I just completely cave, completely right. cave. Yeah. So, and this is, and then that, that in itself then becomes a familiar yeah. pattern, doesn't it? Yeah. So you do the whole weekend hitting it hard Monday. Yeah. No, that's yeah. it. Swearing off. Tuesday yeah. off we go again. And, and then that pattern becomes automatic, just as your car pulling into Sainsbury's becomes automatic. Yeah. And, and this is what your brain does. And, and as you help people to understand, this is about the programming in your brain. And it thinks it's helping you out by making you do these things on yeah. automatic pilot because your brain thinks you need to do them to survive. And once you understand that it's your brain, it's not you, it's not you, Carol, it's not you, it's not me, Vicky. It's, yeah. it's your brain doing what your brain is meant to do to help you to survive because it thinks that mm. you drinking alcohol now is part of your survival plan. And, yeah. and this is what you help people to recognize, isn't it? And the very fact that what you offer, which is different, I think, to what a lot of people think, when they think mm. about getting themselves in a space and a place where they can they can deal with their alcohol whatever terminology they choose to use mm -hmm. you're not about somebody completely stopping and having rigid rules and now never drink again and that's why I love I love what you do because you talk about helping people to actually control and that's why you are called the alcohol control coach you're you're not here to tell people to stop drinking because it's bad for your health everybody knows that don't they <laughs> you're here yeah. to give them an alternative to help people to understand what it is that makes what you offer different um and and how you can actually help them what does it look like to work with with carol um it's a deep dive, really. It's uh, understanding. I just, my ears are open, my mouth shut, and I just listen to what um, what's going on in their life, how it's affecting their, because it does, it affects your relationships, it affects your working life, it affects your pocket because it's not cheap, um, it affects your um self-esteem your confidence because like I'm saying about smelling of, of booze and stuff uh, and you're always guessing what other people are thinking um do you know I've lost you Vicky hang on a minute let me just oh. I can't I'm talking to the screen you're not there and I need to I need to see you to talk to you oh there you are <laughs> sorry I was just talking to this beautiful blue sandy beach then I think where's Vicky on? <laughs> so yeah we do we listen um and we talk about where the challenging areas are. Now, if it is completely impossible to give up, or not give up completely, I'm talking about taking a break. I think the thing is, I like to encourage my clients to take a break. And a 30-day yeah. break is an ideal opportunity. Um, we've all done Sober October. I did it, you know, white-knuckled it, gritted my teeth, and like, oh, we'll get through this. Uh, and I did get through it. So with a coach accountability giving you some um, real support and helping you to understand what it is like you said your brain has switched off all the other chemicals so it needs booze to make it feel good to make it sleep to make it function and it thinks that primitive part of our brain thinks if we don't have that we are going to die and that is the reprogramming so yeah. I tell my clients hey stop beating yourself up Stop feeling ashamed. Stop feeling disappointed in yourself because it is not your 
fault. And I think that is really important to get across to clients. It's not you, it's an addictive substance. So digging into why they drink and what they use alcohol for, because we all want to fill a hole. My hole was obviously Nathan and I couldn't cope with all the stuff that was going on with him. I felt I'd failed as a mother for years and years and years. It was something that I'd done while carrying him that had made him like he was. And we all we all use it to numb, as you said. So it's just getting to the crux of why it is that we drink. Yet it is a bad habit, but this we we always pick a drink up because we want to change how we feel. Yeah, get rid of yeah. something. There's something yeah. there that we don't like. Yeah. So it's well, just not even not even do. get rid of it, but sometimes just <clears> postpone <throat> it, just put it off, just give yourself a break. And and that yeah. the problem with it is, of course, is that it works. Because if it didn't, we're not stupid, are we? We won't keep doing it. If it didn't actually work, if it didn't give us what we wanted, we we would have not continued. And I think helping people to understand that their own behaviour patterns have come mm. about, not because there's something wrong with them or it's, mm. none, it's nothing to do with willpower, but it's no. it's it's that education and it's as you say, isn't it? It's it's helping people to understand your powerful statement there. It's not your fault. You know, it's marketed to us as as being something that is desirable. And, mm. you know, alcohol is the one substance where people feel they have to make an excuse for not partaking in it. Yeah. You know, whereas if, if I said to somebody, would you like some cocaine? They'd probably be horrified. And yet <laughs> exactly. it works on the same pathways, you know, yeah. as does sugar. Um, and let's face yeah. it, alcohol is basically, you know, converted into sugar. It's slightly different. It's mm. not quite the same, but it's very similar. And when you were describing that habit of yours of of you, it was almost like a, a ritual, isn't it? The two beers, the bottle of wine and the chocolate. Yeah. And it would yeah. be tied anybody if they took one of them beers or half your chocolate bar. Ooh. Because it's mine. <laughs> and it's my fun. pattern. It's yeah. my habit and it's my routine. And and giving yourself that opportunity, that break for the 30 days, which is what you offer with help, because mm. that's so mm. important, um, to help them to prove that actually they can do it and they don't need to white knuckle it like they might mm. have done in um, dry January or sober October or whatever the silly terminologies yeah. we use. But so how, tell me, how do people then get in touch with you to be able to, to get some help if they feel that that is what they want to do? Um, they can get in touch with me via my website, which is warriormumcoaching.com. Um, they can get a hold of me on socials. I'm on LinkedIn as Carol Uri, um, and I'm on socials as Warrior Mum Coaching. I've also, as you know, got my own podcast called Kicking Habits. So, yeah, people want to listen out. I give lots of tips and advice and things on there. But, yeah, I think it's um, if you're listening and you're thinking, I really need to do something about this, it's not about stopping. It's about taking a break, yeah. realizing what life is like, even if it's for a short window. Um, a lot of my clients do the 30 days like I did, and then um, we'll carry on and do, I'll do another week and I'll do another week and I'll do another week. So I'm here to really educate like you, Vicky. It's just all about education. And then it's giving people a choice. Once yeah. people have a choice, once they know what alcohol does to our bodies 
they can then have a choice. And if they want to continue drinking, then that's absolutely fine. I don't have any issue. I'm not here to demonize drinking. I'm here to give you some education around it and just you make an informed choice. You're an adult. And yeah. um, but most of most of my clients, yeah, don't drink and stay with me probably up to a year. And we meet once a month as an accountability call. It's not essential, but some some people just want that reassurance. Uh, and as you said, it's all about changing those patterns. We're rewiring the way we think. And it's not as hard as you think. People think they can't do it. But you know what? When they've got coaches like me and you running yeah. alongside them, giving them all the information they need, being there when they're feeling crappy and they're craving and they're triggered, having that accountability and getting them to realise what it's all about feelings, isn't it? What yeah. those feelings that come up and dealing with them. Yeah. yeah. And it's not it's not that I didn't find it that difficult, Vicky. You know, I was sort of probably about the 90 day mark for me. I, I got I got um, the book I got. Uh, which is This Naked Mind by Annie Grace, which I would highly recommend. Yeah. I am a This Naked Mind certified coach and an ICF yeah. accredited coach. Um, so it was that journey, really, starting with that book, listening to her podcasts uh, mm -hmm. and getting that education on board that really did make a massive difference. And as I said, it wasn't it wasn't that hard. It really wasn't. It's really not. But it is when you're trying to go it alone. And oh, that's why, sure. yeah, yeah, that's why it's like, why, why would you choose the hard path when you don't have yeah. to? Because it isn't yeah. as hard as people think. But usually no. it's because when we do stuff for ourselves, we go around it kind of backwards. And helping, mm. helping a coach to help you to see that you, you might have been doing the right steps, you've just been doing them in the wrong order to make mm. it easy. And that's sometimes all we need to do. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. You said so many things that I'm hoping a lot of people can resonate with and relate to. And, and looking at you now, you have chosen to, to help people to feel better about themselves because you know what it's like to feel not great. And you understand mm. that there's multiple reasons why people turn to alcohol and there is nothing wrong with them. They just need no. to understand that they can have the control like you have. So I want to mm. say thank you for passing on such a wonderful message and for sharing your story. We will put your details in the show notes. And if you're watching on YouTube, it will be in the description, as will be the link to Carol's podcast. So once again, folks, thank you for joining me here on Raw Chatter. Remember, you only have one body and one life, as far as we know. Take care of it, because it's taking care of you. Until the next one, see you soon.